Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. You know, I think my biggest obstacle was feeling like I had to operate in a way that wasn't authentically me. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised L.A., and I created We Are L.A. Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Hi, this is Joseph Ogin and I'm a product manager. I built platforms used by AOL, Coca-Cola, and National Geographic. I love listening to We Are LA Tech because Esprit and her team really make it easy for us to understand the LA Tech community and really break down how companies and users can utilize this new emerging technologies to build businesses and connect with their communities. You can follow me online at josephhogin.com. That's Joseph Hogin, H-O-L-G-U-I-N.com. Join thousands of people in LA Tech on our We Are LA Tech Facebook group where you can discover events, job opportunities, and even housing. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. We'll take you straight there. That's wearelatech.com slash community. This personal spot is about social media and caring way too much about followers and about all the other metric counts. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It feels like it matters because we have all these expectations from digital society of like what it means to be significant. Like even now 11-year-olds are obsessed with, you know, being famous. Is that actually important to you? Will that actually make life more fulfilling. And I know for me, investing energy and attention into follower counts and everything else is, and and like being relevant online or whatever it may be, is just such an energetic drain. If I exert my attention and my focus on just showing up to the things that I'm curious about, that I enjoy, to creating meaningful connection with others, like that is actually the good stuff. That's That makes me feel more just hauled together in human day-to-day. The other energy makes me feel frantic and chaotic and like constantly catching up. So I think it's time, like all of us, especially me, revisit how we perceive social media and all these other metrics. And instead of feeling like FOMO, like we're missing out or we have to be on everything all at once, we just kind of do a check-in with ourselves of what is most meaningful for us and what do we actually want out of it? Like, why is this important? And on that day, on that last day of our lives, was it worth investing the time in the way that we invested it? Anyway, enjoy the next episode.
Welcome back to the We Are LA Tech podcast, spotlighting Los Angeles tech companies and talent. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Culver City, Tatiana. Hello. <laughs> hello. Hello. I feel like I should be in like a like a wrestler garb coming out, like with my, <laughs> oh with my the whole gosh. like outfit. You know, what's so funny <laughs> about that is I'm actually inspired to do the intro from being in love with wrestling growing up. It's a, it's a cross between wrestling, Steven Tyler with his, you know, from Aerosmith with his mic and his huge flag, like that kind of energy. And and I don't remember what else. I think it was just those two things, but definitely wrestling. That's where I get the whole thing. Welcome! And then they, Ted DiBiase, you know? Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. So Tatiana, go ahead and tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. I'm Tatiana Mulry, and I am kicking off a venture fund called Steamwork Ventures. And this is born out of love of startups. I've been working with startups for about 14 years, helping them with marketing, growth, product, um, design. And I've seen how hard it is for certain types of startups to get the capital they need. So I'm joining forces with a couple of partners and really trying to apply some energy to solving that problem. My past life, I've been in FinTech for over 20 years. I worked at MasterCard for 10 of those years and built out the infrastructure for mobile commerce as well as the first developer program there. So I really um, have a genuine deep love for FinTech. And that's, um, I would say that's the majority of my career has been around that. Before we like get into like how you fell in love with technology and all the things that I love to talk about developing like your journey throughout the space, I've been thinking lately a lot about my why. I've been doing this podcast for going on seven, eight years now and been doing community building for like over 10 years. And so I've been like really like reflecting on my why and my purpose and like what it means to me. And what I've come to is that what truly matters to me is forming meaningful connection amongst others, like really making it so that people could connect. Like, so this podcast to me isn't just a podcast. It's a way for everyone to know about you and you to know about everybody else. So with all of that huge disclaimer being said, how can people connect with you? Instead of waiting to the end, I want people to know how to connect with you now. <laughs> My absolute favorite is Twitter. So I'm at Tanya Mullery on Twitter and I love, love, love talking to people on Twitter and seeing what's going on. And that's how I first saw you for sure. And then our mutual friend, uh, Zach Stern connected us. So I'm really grateful for that. I'm totally about connections. In fact, our thesis is about connected solutions. I feel like we have so much ability with technology to stay in connection and to help people through this power of connection. So I'm very much in line with your, your purpose there. I love it. And, you know, I love that you bring up Zach too, and shout out to Zach for syncing us together. Zach is one of the most thoughtful connectors. He's so sincere in his relationships and his follow-up, and he he genuinely cares about the you behind the business. Mm, I think so, too. He's a, he's a very dynamic guy. And the funny way that I found Zach was on Twitter, I was saying, hey, I'm coming up on my um, anniversary. I've been married a very, very long time. I won't disclose. Congratulations. This, this is evergreen, <laughs> right? And so you run out of ideas <laughs> for what do you want to do on date night? 
So I said, hey, free startup idea on Twitter. Hey, free startup idea. You know, somebody has to help us, you know, maintain relationships and come up with date night ideas once you're actually together. And somebody from his team, shout out to his social team, uh, found me, started chatting with me, and then that's how we got connected. So that's pretty cool. We've actually never met in person, but that's one of those great stories of, you know, how people can really form relationships. So his app is uh, official and it's pretty cool. So if you're looking for date night ideas, everybody should download that and check 100%. it out. 100%. I'm not positive. I think it's getofficial.app. Do you remember the URL by chance? Yes. Is it getofficial.app? I think it is getofficial. We'll check. I think so, yeah. And we'll include it in the show notes as well. And one thing I think Tatiana and I are happy to share with everyone listening is Sometimes things aren't perfect and that's okay. Meaning like we're doing this podcast right now and between like the lawnmower happening right when we start and like the recording system being pixelated, like sometimes life is pixelated and it is okay to keep moving forward despite it being pixelated. I know that's a really like funny comment, but I think it's so important because I feel like we get discouraged. Like we feel like we don't know enough. We're not doing enough. We're not perfect enough. And it's just like, but just ship it just x just go yeah so so true i can think of so many um times in my life where that has you know somebody's offhanded comment has stopped me in my tracks and made me really think okay is this even viable am i you know it's i i know that there's a lot of articles going around right now about don't stop telling women that they have imposter syndrome however you know that doubt creeps in and a you know poorly formed comment, it can really set people off in the wrong direction. But you're right. You just have to um, look at your North Star, figure out your purpose and say, no, I don't care what this one person says about this or me or the idea or the business model or whatever it is. You just have to keep marching. Totally. My mom says, don't close your own door. And I try to remember that because I think that so many times at least it, I'm just going to speak for myself. I definitely have often had imposter syndrome. I've definitely had self-limiting beliefs. And so when I think of my mom saying, don't close your own door, I ask myself, okay, am I closing my own door right now? Or does that door actually need and want to be closed? And most of the time, it's me just having imposter syndrome and having self-limiting beliefs. I wish I knew your mom 10 years ago when I was pitching to angel investors. And I remember going to this, I had I went to an event. They had like a speed pitching 30 second pitch competition. I nailed it. They gave me a subscription to their boot camp, this angel group, which is now defunct. And for good reason, hopefully it'll appear later in the story. So I go to their boot camp. I've got my amazing deck. I had, you know, this crazy career at MasterCard was super, super successful there. Did not anticipate that I would be up against this wall of I could call it out, but I won't say just attitudes. Let's call it in a very polite way, attitudes. I, you know, I was pitching this app. It was very early in the app days. And I had this investor just go, what's an app? And well, is this a lifestyle business? (laughs) And I'm like, okay. And it felt to me like he was saying, you know, you're just a mom in a minivan, you know, going to soccer practice. How could you be running a real business? Meanwhile, I had been running like a ridiculous tens of millions of dollars businesses at MasterCard. So 
I was very offended and it was a, you know, stupid, naive move to not like push past that and ignore him and just move on. So, I mean, I just, I've been there. I know it's really, really tough. And those traumatic memories will stay with you a very, very, very long time and be that soundtrack in your head that can really hold you back. So that was one jerk, not my entire career. Let's actually lean into that a a little bit more because I think it's important. There are so many different personalities in the world period. Like we all have such different personalities. Most times, and definitely feel free to disagree with me if if you don't agree. I feel like most times we're talking to someone's past life experiences and their own traumas. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with us, but at least I know I've internalized someone speaking to me nasty, like what's wrong with me? And I think like in that situation you had, it was like, oh my gosh, and it throws you off. And the more we could train ourselves to understand and filter out, when does it actually have to do with us to evolve versus when is someone just speaking out of their own traumas? I think everybody speaks out of their own traumas always. Um, And it depends on, you know, how the information is delivered to you and who that reminds you of and how that sparks you in a different way, because there could be somebody who said the same thing to me, but with a different attitude or tone that would have been totally fine. And I could have just run over it like a tiny little pebble, not a speed bump. Right. And so I think everybody reacts to people based on their own lens rather than considering the lens of the other person. And that person is really genuinely a person who did not understand what an app was. (laughs) And that was like absolutely mind-blowing for me because all I've been doing is software and apps for, for a very long time. Before there was an iPhone, I was working on apps. So not everybody has uniform information about the technology you're building. And I think that is a big oversight that a lot of entrepreneurs have, right? They don't explain things in, um, I would say, in the language a precocious 10 or 12 year old would use. And, you know, when you're getting pitches from a scientist or from a, you know, machine learning expert or whatever, an investor doesn't have all that background. They couldn't possibly have 50 degrees, (laughs) right? To cover all of the scope of the areas where they might be interested in investing. And so you really have to boil it down to them in simple language that anyone could understand and then dive deeper if there's enough interest. Let's get into your background. I mean, you you have such a magnificent background and how you came to be where you are today. Let's start with actually where you are today and tell us more about Steamworks and then we'll go backward and where you started. So tell us about today. The name Steamwork really came out of this realization that there were a lot of amazing companies in the in the STEAM subjects, right? Science, technology, engineering, arts, math. And that's where a lot of the jobs are going to come from. And so I noticed in my own community that we were overeducating our youth and sending them off to college to get these fancy degrees. And they were coming home to the community and they were not finding those kinds of jobs. And I was like, this is a big disconnect. Even in a small community of, you know, our city is about 300,000 people. We're creating this brain drain. So what's going on? Like, how can we actually stimulate the economy and have the right jobs waiting for people when they come back from school? And so I just set on this path to try to create that kind of opportunity in my community. I opened a co-working space that was originally called Steamworks Center, you know, due to some construction problems, I ended up closing it, but it wasn't a, a magnificent 
you know, time to really bond and find all of these amazing entrepreneurs who are doing cool things, they still were struggling to raise because they weren't in San Francisco. They didn't have the connections. Maybe like LA is maturing as a a venture community, but it still takes time to create those relationships. And that's time that entrepreneurs don't have. They can't be driving five hours (laughs) in every direction to go to different events and still build their companies. And so, you know, I have been involved and deeply in uh, different parts of our community. I've been involved in social venture partners with nonprofit pitch competitions here in LA, which were absolutely phenomenal. I love that. Then I also got involved with Founders Boost LA, which was previously called Startup Boost LA and kind of came out of the Startup Next spinoff from Techstars. And I've been mentoring startups for many, many years. Um, now I've been running that program for two years as co-director and so I was seeing these phenomenal companies from uh, with underrepresented founders, about 80 to 100% of our founders are from underrepresented backgrounds for, on some dimension. And they were coming out of these programs, getting into tech stars, getting into all kinds of great accelerators, getting starting to raise, but still feeling like there was some structural issues in the LA market. I wanted to personally be able to be involved in helping them get that cat that capital that they needed because I had all these really deep relationships with them. I felt like I could help them better if I had more access to capital on their behalf. And so that's where the venture uh, firm was started. I found a couple partners who are equally passionate about this and with, with amazing backgrounds. I would say I'm more of like the CMO type and product person. I have a CFO type with um, great exits and he like knows how to navigate companies to exit and private equity. And um, I worked on the MasterCard IPO. My other partner is more of an operations guy with a deep um, background in investment firms. And so we just had these phenomenal contacts and the three of us were like the three legs of a stool to help founders with the, you know, the foundation elements of getting their company off the ground. And we were just like, this is it. This is the perfect team. Let's go do this. And where can people find out more? So our website is steamwork.vc. And you can kind of check a, check out our thesis, check out our bios. And also the connect page on that site is where you can pitch your, your company. And I would love to hear from founders who resonate with that, that vision. Our, our thesis is around connected solutions that impact health, wealth, or the earth. And that generally includes a software Yes. So that generally starts with software and dives into some really interesting things that can be done with data and sometimes has a device. Unlike a lot of venture firms, we have some manufacturing experience under our belts. And so we're able to help companies that may also have some type of a a hardware solution as well. Let's reel it back to like, when did you first become interested in technology? I mean, When I was a kid, I wanted to invent so many things. I remember saying I wanted to abolish money. And like, here we are in the age of Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's so many, you know, interesting kind of like premonitions. I used to make concoctions, um, little inventions and things all the time. I loved building things. So at a young age, I just knew I wanted to be a creator of some kind, right? But I, that that wasn't really a word that was applied. You either want to be like an astronaut or a teacher or a policeman, right? <laughs> Nobody grew up and said, I want to be an investment banker. Or I want to be, <laughs> you know, I want to reinvent money. That wasn't a thing. But I ended up 
studying economics at NYU and getting jobs at investment banks in New York City. And I started to see how that system worked. It was really, really intriguing and interesting. At the time when I was at those banks, I'm going to date myself, you guys and you ladies. I remember when Netscape went public, <laughs> I was sitting on the trading floor, like watching all the craziness and it like came out. I don't remember where in the teens or something went to like 95. It was it was just like absolute mayhem. And that was kind of the beginning, right, of everything that we see today. Like if if those kinds of IPOs didn't happen, then we wouldn't be we wouldn't be on Squadcast doing this for sure. Right. So. So I just saw the very beginnings of it, and it was super cool. So when I went to MasterCard, um, little by little, I just became involved in technology projects. Whether or not people realize it, the uh, payment system is just like one big, humongous, amazing uh, technology infrastructure that like makes everything go, like all these transactions go. And so I was involved in doing authorization system releases and writing the chargeback rules. Y'all can... Um, hate on me later because nobody likes chargebacks as a merchant. <laughs> and, um, you know, little by little, they were like, hey, you did a good job of that. Why don't you build our corporate CRM or our licensing system, our brand standards um, system, our design approval system? And then later, I volunteered to be one of the founding members of the information products and services team where we took our transaction data and built really interesting analytics tools um, that could help the banks optimize their their different processes. So their marketing, their operations. Um, we built predictive models. One of my patents is a predictive model around uh, looking at cardholder data and saying, oh, that might be a small business. We should start offering them more services. And then the next phase was mobile. I became absolutely obsessed with the idea that we were going to pay with our phones and that there was so much else we could do. I did my first mobile project, mobile payments project in uh, 2000, my first mobile website in 1999. So just for context, right? Blackberries in the sort of phase I went through from like 2000 to 2005, I'd say a lot of work was done. I mean, people, executives had Blackberries, but nobody else really had phones. Maybe razors were coming out at the time. Like we all had our flip phones and our like little tactile key phones. I have a whole uh, phone museum I love to share with my students um, because I I teach mobile design at at USC as well as one of my little side hustles. It's really fun, fun to be with um, young students. And sometimes I have all females and I, and I weep because it's so awesome to see women getting into technology. But anyway, I just, I saw this thing and I was, you know, and the the connection it could bring. And uh, and I was like, this, this is something. Why are we not paying attention to this? So you have to picture, I was maybe 30, I guess. I was, I don't know, maybe a little, I don't know, in that age, plus or minus two years, right? And I was like, we have to do something about this. So I marched to my boss's boss's boss with a proposal that I go around and interview all of the stakeholders in the company as well, which is like all the SVPs at above all around the world at MasterCard. I was going to interview them. I was going to interview all of the carriers and the, which are the um, mobile network operators, you know, the Verizon, Sprint, AT&T. And I was going to talk to all of the handset manufacturers. At the time, we were doing a lot with Nokia and Motorola, which is almost 
I'm really dating myself now, and come up with a mobile strategy. Like, this is how we should go to market. This is what everybody wants. Um, I also had to talk to a lot of the banks as well, because they all wanted a piece of the transaction in mobile commerce. And um, the the technology that everybody wanted to focus on was contactless payments, but the phones didn't have the chips and antennas required to do near-field communication yet. So we were doing pilots where you took the backplate off the phone, you put on a new backplate with the prototype chip that could access the battery, and then you could tap your phone at a terminal. We were putting a lot of the merchant terminals into big places like NFL stadiums, um, CVS, McDonald's, Dwayne Reed, that sort of thing. And so I got to do one of the first public uh, transactions in mobile commerce. (laughs) I walked into McDonald's in Fairfield, Connecticut, and ordered a Happy Meal and tapped my phone on the terminal and freaked the woman out. So she jumped back. I was scared she was going to slip in the grease. She's like, what did you do? How did that happen? (laughs) So that was super fun to do that kind of thing. But 20 years later, now it's important. Why, like in the last two years, contactless is all the rage, but nobody had even used that word in a sentence before the pandemic, except for fintech geeks like me. (laughs) So yeah, sometimes you have the technology way, way, way earlier than people really have a genuine problem. You know, is it that hard to whip your card out of your wallet? Do you really need to have a mobile wallet until, you know, nobody wanted to touch anything? It just took a long time to to actually get adopted. So I got frustrated. I mean, to change the industry... The handset manufacturers were like, why would we put this in our phones? It's going to cost us an extra hundred bucks a handset. This is crazy. Unless we get a slice of the transaction, we're not interested. Similarly, the banks wanted a bigger chunk. And I mean, it was just a mess, right? So I knew that until somebody spent $20 million in advertising, nothing was going to change. Nobody was going to adopt this. And it was really frustrating. And I knew I was capable of a lot. Um, Even in a big company, I could get a lot done. So I had a $2 beer at a bar in Orlando where I was speaking at a banking conference with the guy from from AT&T, well, Singular at the time, about the future of mobile commerce. And my friend, I was commiserating. I'm like, I'm so frustrated. There's, you know, it's going to be so slow to actually get this off the ground. I got to go do something more interesting. Maybe startup life is for me. And he was the CMO of a venture-funded startup in Los Angeles. So he's like, come out for an interview. (laughs) So I did. And uh, the rest is history. That's how I ended up in LA. The company lasted nine months. (laughs) And then the crash happened. And so I got into consulting and decided to go and be a founder myself at a certain point and just love, love, love. Um, working with startups and helping them navigate this early stage. It's so fun. That's so cool. And in your, I mean, you've, ex- you've done so much throughout your journey. Has there been an obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? Yeah. Working in technology and banking for over 20 years, there've been some obstacles. 
one of them has not been a line at the ladies' room in any convention center or any, any conference ever. Like, I've always had free access to as many stalls as I needed. You know, I think my biggest obstacle was feeling like I had to operate in a way that wasn't authentically me and finding a style that could um, be acceptable to run these massive teams of mostly men from every culture. You know, I was running remote teams before there was really remote uh, access. A lot of my team um, mates were in different regions and my technology team was in um, St. Louis and I was in New York. And so I would fly out every two weeks to remain in contact with them and show solidarity with them and really get to know them. But I mean, there were just weird things like coworkers who would say, let's go to have lunch at Hooters or, you know, let's go to a, this kind of bar. And I'm like, dude, I can see that stuff anytime I want. I don't need to go do that. Like, what was the way <laughs> that I could remain in authority and friendly with them and like joke that off and still keep going, right? And I mean, none of none of that would be acceptable now, right? There would be different language for it now than there was 20 years ago, but I somehow had to figure out how to push my way through some of those really awkward, weird things. And um, at the same time, as I was doing all that stuff at MasterCard, I had three kids. And that was really uh, fun and interesting. I basically just didn't let it be an uh, an issue. We just never discussed it. I never discussed my family. I never discussed my plans other than saying I'm, you know, definitely continuing. It just was a piece of me I couldn't bring to work, even though it was visible (laughs) and obvious that I was super pregnant, right? Um, And so, yeah, that just felt like it was a big part of my life was shut off. And it was something that I felt like I dressed and acted like a man for 20 years to get through this industry. And so when I come to this new era and everybody is very very much about emphasizing, you know, their femininity or their sexual identity, their gender identity. It's like, what? We're talking about that now? I I really struggle in a lot of ways. Not that I'm not an ally of anybody who wants to express themselves in any way, but I just never had access to that. I really felt like that was a part of me that I couldn't bring to work. And I am super grateful and happy that the discussion is opening up a new way of being at work, but I'm still navigating that myself. So I really, you know, I feel like we are blessed that lots of people came before us to open doors, like our, my parents and my mom and, uh, you know, others in her generation really did a lot for me. And I'm hoping that me pushing through (laughs) is going to do a lot for the next generation too. And yeah, but there's just a lot, a lot to navigate there. You know, how can we all be ourselves at work and, and demand that we be seen for our talents and not just our gender? And what's one of the best pieces of advice that you've gotten? I mean, I feel like you deliver some heavy advice this just earlier in this podcast with your mom's uh, recommendation. <laughs> you trying to be like, my wow, mom. I wish I had known that. <laughs> Yeah, man. I was like, your mom was pretty wise. Now I'm going to have to come up with my own advice. You know, really check in with everyone. I would say a lot of times we don't really care, like 
we try to push our own agenda through without asking what someone else um, wants the outcome to be without like understanding their thoughts and feelings about it because we have an objective and we don't, um, you know, we don't really check in with our coworkers, with uh, collaborators and see this problem from all the different um, all the different perspectives. Um, when I learned to do that, it changed everything for me in my career. I remember having a, a letter from a woman who was temping for me at MasterCard telling me that I was a good manager, I was very smart, but I was cold. And I still remember that like 20 something years later. And I was like, cold? <laughs> like, that's the last thing. <laughs> There's I would nothing want to cold be. about it. No, but in the environment where I felt like I had to constrain myself, I had to be a certain way, I had to act a certain way, I could see how she felt that way. But I wish I knew that before she left, right? So um, after that letter, I remember just thinking, wow, I really have to start spending time that I thought was a waste of time at first, maybe, really trying to understand other people's perspectives before making decisions and have them be a part of the solution building to gain buy-in. That wasn't obvious to me. Our school system teaches us to be individual contributors and get good grades and do things on our own. It doesn't teach us how to interact with a team. And I think, you know, learning to check in with others is uh, was the biggest lesson I learned. So why Los Angeles? Like, are you from L.A.? So I grew up in New York, but I came out to L.A. in 2007 to work for one of the first VC-funded startups before there was anything but weeds and private stuff. <laughs> and so it was a, you know, love at first sight, love the weather, love the people. And it's been so cool to see all the progress in the tech scene over the last 14 years. What resources in L.A. would you recommend people check out? Does anything come to mind? Well, I, I'm kind of biased. So I'm the co-director for Founders Boost LA, a pre-accelerator program. That's no fee, no equity. And we help uh, founders from mostly underrepresented backgrounds really understand the VC and accelerator landscape or accelerate their revenue. It's mentor-driven and we just we launched some amazing companies and send them off to many of the top accelerators. And now it's so cool to see them, you know, starting their seed raises. And one of the companies that went through predecessor program uh, when it was called Startup Next um, just got sold to Instacart for $350 million. That's caper.ai. And that's not too shabby. So we're really excited to see some of our graduates really come through their full paces and start to have these amazing exits. So we're really happy with the with the work so far. And it's so great. And where can people find out more about Founder Boost? So foundersboost.com slash program slash LA, I believe is the link. And we'll put it in the, the notes. What are some other LA tech companies or a person who you've come across lately who's really impressed you uh, an LA-based tech company I mean all of my babies are so precious oh you can't say one, one. Okay, never mind I'm gonna give it you have you have a no. safe answer so I'm gonna okay. just say I'm gonna say one of my my favorite picks oh, there's so many um so last year 
we picked some really great companies last spring and Founders Boost. One went on, well, many went on to Techstars programs, but one just went through Techstars LA. And that's uh, Khalif Brown from Renault. Super excited for him. He and his partners come from a real estate background and they're trying to revolutionize the way that people request, plan, and reserve contractors and materials for home renovations of kitchens and bathrooms. And just how far they've come and how much he's grown as a founder. I just saw him last week on the roof of the... um, the Peterson Museum at the the unveiling, uh, the networking for Techstars LA. And I was just so blown away with how much progress he's made. So I just, that's a, one example, but one that I'm really proud of. And you talked about Techstars LA. That's another amazing resource here in Los Angeles as well. What are the resources that um, Steamworks has about uh, for the community? Is there anything that happens that's community driven there or guides, PDFs? Well, we haven't de- developed a ton of content through the VC firm yet, um, but I do have a ton of content behind the scenes I'm happy to share with people. One of the things that I did a couple years ago was write a book on decision-making called Decide Like a Boss, and I'm happy to um, talk further about that, but basically I found that founders uh, really had a hard time uh, deciding what their next step was was going to be when they were in that sort of one, two employee phase to get to like the five, seven employee phase is such a humongous leap. So many decisions are involved in like, you know, deciding on your strategy and stepping into your, um, your next stage of growth. And so I wanted to put together a resource that helped people have a structured decision-making process. So that's where that book comes from. Happy to share the Um, the shortcut for how to do that at some point, you know, maybe we can link that up for you. What restaurant do you recommend we check out in Los Angeles? You've been to a restaurant in Los Angeles in the last couple (laughs) of years. That's so depressing. (laughs) That's so true. Okay, pre-pandemic. I'm like, um, (laughs) Starbucks? I don't know. Um, Yikes. Starbucks has a drive-thru now, too. My memories are yeah, man. It's been so long. I, what restaurant do you recommend? I want to go to that one. Um, I have I to have get one. back in the swing of okay, things. Okay, how about I'll go. And it's okay. in Culver City, so it matches you. You do it. Ready? It's amazing. They have an outdoors. The owner, Brian, is just this phenomenal human. Rush Street. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's it's casual, so it, it's really comfortable. You could go tonight, or if you wanted to have a nice dinner out, it's like that hybrid where it's you can go either way, depending if you're wearing jeans or if you're wearing a nice dress, you know? It's Rush Street. It's amazing. Nice. I was like, does anybody in L.A. not just wear jeans? <laughs> That's true, too. I remember the, the, the funniest difference between New York and L.A. was hiring people, and they would come into interviews and jeans and it totally freaked me out I was like how could you come to an interview in jeans but every it's so different and so casual and and now I love it but I think like that really was a big culture shock what activity do you recommend that we do here oh I don't know if it's over but I just went to the um, Van Gogh immersive uh, experience in the Amoeba uh, music building that was really cool I hope they do a lot more of that because I think we need to have an opportunity to get out and experience um, life and culture. And it's been really fun to 
plan like in the city dates lately. Now that we're all vaxxed and starting to get back into life, um, going to football games and all kinds of fun things. So I know we just need, we just need more of that. So, but I, I had a great time at that. I thought that was really cool. And what hike do you recommend? Okay. My absolute favorite, cause it's just an absolute gorgeous place and soul searching. And it's usually not that crowded. Um, is Vasquez Rocks off of the 14 freeway. And it's not too far from my house, but oh, it's super famous because it's been in a lot of different shows, including Star Trek and Big Bang Theory. And you'll definitely recognize the rock formation, but it's a very easy hike if you want it to be, or it's very challenging. Like you could just scale up the side of the, the, um, the rocks as well. It's very, very, very cool. And if somebody were to land at LAX, Burbank Airport, Long Beach Airport, one of the airports today (laughs) for the tech community, what would you recommend that they do to quickly immerse themselves into our culture here? What I see people doing is going on Twitter and saying, hey, I'm coming to LA, who should I meet with? And then they get 500 recommendations. That's the easiest way to like find people you know and and who they know and just make these connections. It's incredible. I can't even express enough. Like follow the long LA hashtag, you know, and you'll be able to find lots of people who just really want to make this community great, even if we can't all be together all the time. Totally agree. What's a book that you think we should all read and check out? What's really inspired you? This is going to seem so weird because it's literally the only non-business, non-technology book I've read or listened to. I love audiobooks. But the one that's impacted me most this year is called Third Culture Kids. And it's because I grew up in a very different um, cultural community than the my culture of origin. And I really have been thinking so much about how we interact with the culture around us. And that was so interesting. It was all about children who um, grow up in different environments. Think like um, expats kids or missionaries kids or, um, you know, people who have grown up in a different culture. And there's so many blessings from that, but there's also this lack of of like firm identity. You kind of like don't belong to either world and how do you make your way? So insightful because I think so many of us feel like the outsider in so many ways. Um, It explains to me why this, you know, fostering connection and belonging and communities was so important to me. And I just think anybody that resonates with this that just feels like, wow, like I, I just haven't fit into my community or I really don't understand where I like fit in the technology world, for example, I mean, the the lessons from that book could really apply in so many different situations. Totally agree. Any last thoughts on L.A.? Anything that's L.A. specific? I think that we have a confidence problem as a city because there is so much freaking potential here. If we just owned it and said how amazing we were, (laughs) we would accomplish so much. I'm blown away with how much progress we've made, but man, this is a world-class, amazing city with the most talented people in the world who could do almost anything. And we've got great industries, such a diversity of economic engines in our city. And we just, we let other cities overshadow us and we shouldn't. It's so true. It's so true. Long LA. (laughs) 
That's a good way to, to wrap up. You can definitely find me at the hashtag Long LA. <laughs> <laughs> How can people connect with you? Okay, on Twitter, I'm Tanya Mulry, T-A-N-I-A-M-U-L-R-Y. And my website is steamwork.vc. And happy to tweet with you and get to know you better. Amazing. Thank you so much for hanging out with the We Are Late Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more amazing people in the Los Angeles tech community. Remember, go to wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Say hello on social at We Are Late Tech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. See you guys later. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Tatiana Mulry, general partner and co-founder of Steamwork Ventures, a series C to series A venture firm based in Culver City. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.